Hello and welcome to Essex by the Sea. I'm Owen Ward exploring the Essex coast, finding out about all the amazing and interesting stories it has to offer. Now for this episode we're going to go on a little history trip back to the early 1900s and to help us on that journey is local historian Chris Langdon. Thanks for joining me Chris. Thank you very much for having me. Now, you are a historian in Southend, very passionate about the history of the new city. Take us back to the early 1900s, if you will. What was Southend, as a town then, of course, uh, like? Sure thing. By by the, the, the turn of the uh, 20th century, Southend was visually um, and demographically a very different place to what it is um, as a city today in 2022. So, for example, to give you some some population figures... In the early 19th century, the population of what was called New South Ends was approximately 3,000. By the turn of the 20th century, um, it exploded into considerably over 60,000. So we're looking at a massive demographic boom. And part of that was facilitated by um, royal patronage to South End as a tourist destination and then the introduction of the railways. South End is very special because it has two different railway lines that facilitate getting in and out of South End. And what that did was it created a situation whereby people could come to live in South End and commute out of the area to work. Nothing changes because we still do that. But also it facilitated an industry um, of day tripping and visiting for holidays. And so on, on bank holidays, um, for example, in August, uh, August bank holiday, um, the population would double. So um, over the weekend, you might have 80,000 people visiting for the weekend. And when you've got a population of around about 60,000, uh, give or take, um, and you have 80,000 people visiting for the weekend, suddenly this place comes alive. Um, and you have, um, particularly from, from London, you have lots of people who are visiting for, for, for the day and the weekend, visiting the pier, visiting the seafronts. Uh, visiting the, the various uh, various uh, pubs and, and inns um, spread across the town, many of which are still here today, um, you find a situation where you need to facilitate that stuff. So part of that's through inns, through pubs and, and various, you know, um, uh, various businesses of entertainment and things like that, but also hotels. So one of the things that you find in South End, particularly in the latter 19th century, um, is a, a, a quite a vast building project, really, of very large Victorian um, um, imposing hotels. And there, there are a number of those that, um, that, that, that you can still uh, see and stay in today. Um, some of them have gone, some of them are still here. But these, these large hotels were here to really facilitate that kind of work. So you have a, a strange system in Southend where um, the town has grown significantly and you have a lot of new buildings, a lot of new architecture, a lot of new infrastructure and also a lot of new people. Um, and then you have at certain very specific points in, in the year um, an even greater explosion where, like I say, the population will more than double. South End, uh, you mentioned how it sort of evolved and, and developed. Um, I mean, obviously, South End as we know it today, we, we perhaps think, you know, the town is very much centred around the high street and, and sort of Pier Hill, mm. the end of the pier, the, the seafront. Back before, sort of in the early stages of, of the town's development, of course, South End was actually a cluster of smaller towns, Lee, Chalkwell, Westcliff, 
pretty well south mm. church wasn't it and south end as we know it today really sort of uh, blossomed as it were in that period because of all that expansion and that huge population boom and the creation of these hotels many of which were along that seafront part yeah very, very much so indeed i mean I, I i often make a joke when i'm doing talks and say that um, until a certain point in time south end was a mere geographical expression because you're, you're you're really traditionally looking at these the southern ends of the lands of Prittlewell priory and um, Prittlewell Priory being due north of South End. Mm. But really, yeah, as you, as you say, we're looking at a cluster of smaller parishes and smaller manors. So in, in the immediate area, you have places like Milton, which has now been consumed by Westcliffe. Uh, you have um, South Church and you have, yeah, you have Prittlewell, Chalkwall um, and, and going farther along to, to Leon Sea and then, you know, um, farther north um, into Prittlewell and then um, towards Rochford as well. And eventually these areas became um, largely because of the introduction of the railway lines, um, an increase in urban sprawl. Um, one notable family, the Scratton family, who were sort of cadet branches and sort of distant relatives of the third Earls of Warwick who owned most of this land following the dissolution of the monasteries, your Richard Riches of this world. They then started to sell off parcels of land for development into properties. So suddenly um, these small disparate communities and parishes became quite linked um, and further linked with infrastructure like roads and rail. So South End's booming. Tourists are coming to the the town. Uh, bank holidays. We know that the you know, as as you mentioned, you know the, the the number of people in South End would have shot up uh, dramatically uh, when it wasn't bank holidays. Uh, the flow of people is perhaps the other way towards London and other places for work. South End reasonably was do, doing quite well then in the early nineteen hundreds. But then along came the yeah. First World War. How did that change the town first off? Because there were restrictions, weren't there? So who could actually come? I suppose July, August 1914, South End was really in its pinnacle, its absolute heyday. And the truth of the situation is that the town never recovered afterwards, even to this very day. It, it, it never managed to reach those kinds of numbers of visitors, particularly during tourist season. Um, and actually, a lot of that stems back to the first and then the second world wars, um, notably because of invasion fears and air raids. So it really put people off people in turn find different places to visit and things to do and they never come back really um so yeah when, when it comes to south end and how it changed immediately um you have restrictions to um access things like the pier for example um parts of the seafront there was an invasion scare so the fourth division um, of the british army um wasn't sent with the rest of the expeditionary force to france um, it stayed in East Anglia because there was a real legitimate concern that the Germans were going to invade East Anglia. Um, so people in, in South End um, were definitely wary of, um, you know, German German ships and troops coming up the estuary. Some people even evacuated. Uh, people often forget that with the, with the Great War, that people left um, and evacuated, but they did. Um, but equally, you then have the mobilisation of the local efforts. And one of the things that I uh, focus on is how Southend was affected and what it did during the Great War. And there are some very interesting examples of how local uh, people, local businesses and the local community at large galvanised um, and, and worked together to create solutions to very surreal problems 
Take us through some of those then, because obviously we've got now uh, in a town with perhaps less people, certainly less people visiting for for a day trip. Uh, you've got the military in place, but l- very large, big hotels, were they standing empty? Um, yeah, it, it's very strange. Um, so, you, yeah, um, you, you, you go from uh, tourist season in, in the South End to really quite a bit of a ghost town. So so what happens is the the, the owners of, of local hotels, for example, uh, Tolhurst, who owns the um, what's now the Park Inn Palace, then just the Palace Hotel overlooking Pier Hill and the seafront, um, donates their buildings uh, to the Red Cross and they're, they're, they're converted into auxiliary Red Cross hospitals. And uh, Essex had the highest number of Red Cross hospitals um, in, in, in the country. South End had three, um, but by itself, they were quickly converted. Um, auxiliary Red Cross staff were brought in and they began to undertake very, very necessary, very important work in, in terms of the wider war efforts. So looking at uh, Queen Mary Royal Naval Hospital as it was redesignated, so the Park Inn Palace, it included a full complement of staff and surgical staff. An operating theatre was uh, created in the space. Um, of course, multiple wards um, named after different countries that were part of the alliance. So there was a you know um, a Russia ward, a Japan ward, a France and a Belgium ward. Um, you equally have one of the first X-ray machines um, and facilities in the country um, set up in in this space. And one one of the things that I find um, quite pertinent, I suppose, with with looking at X-ray in 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 South End at least, is that about a century before you have a guy, and he's um, working in Shrewsbury Garrison, a guy called Colonel Shrapnel, and he later goes on to develop the shrapnel shell. And the shrapnel shell, um, when it detonates, sends these small splinters of metal, you know, through the air and it, and it you know, embeds itself in your body. Well, a century on, just up the road, you have an X-ray machine undoubtedly being used to help uh, surgical staff find shrapnel pellets and pieces in wounded soldiers. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a rather ugly continuity, I suppose. But equally, you have um, troops coming to convalesce because you've got bed space, because you have lots of rooms, um, people are convalescing in the South End. So between the three hospitals, thousands of troops came here to convalesce and also to seek treatment. So really, the the, the kind of work and the volume of work was was very unique to South End situation, I suppose. And given where South End is located geographically, the transport links that you mentioned uh, in and out of the town as well, I suppose it made mm. South End a, a very helpful transition point because you could easily get boats uh, from the continent over to south end you've got the pier and and other piers that would have been there at the time along the seafront to to offload the wounded troops you've got large buildings such as the as you say that the, the hotel there and and others uh, along the seafront easily accessible from the river mm. so actually it makes perfect sense doesn't it for south end to become this sort of hub to help our wounded troops and soldiers to to get that initial aid that they need before they're being transported around uh, to, to other parts of the country very very much so indeed um the the the, the key points of entry really um, for south end and and you know, again some things don't change um you have two railway lines uh, so there's there's the victoria line there's the central line and you also have the pier so um you'd have a lot of uh, paddle steamers that would be coming into the estuary unloaded wounded unloading wooden troops um, in turn put on the pier train 
unloaded to the to the shore end of the pier, which in turn is overlooked by uh, Queen Mary's Royal Naval Hospital, and that's 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 no long distance from one point to the next. Uh, the train lines uh, facilitated the, the the transport of troops from uh, from London, but also other points along those respective lines, particularly uh, the central line, um, and then and then you'd have in places like uh, Southend Central Station, um, uh, volunteers. So we have some wonderful uh, photographs of St. John's ambulancemen uh, with their with their ambulances and their, their uniforms unloaded, unloading wounded troops um, to then transport them to the various hospitals. Um, you also have the automobile club. So the Southend Automobile Club volunteered their services and and that was primarily local local women as well um so the automobile club kind of had a bit of a, a bit of a change as it were because a lot of the males were going off to join the various respective parts of the forces um so so local women volunteered to drive wounded soldiers uh, from the train stations or the pier in turn to the hospitals um and then you have the work of the what, what are called the VADs the voluntary aid detachments um, so you have 34 and you have 28 VAD. And these are, again, primarily women, but also men um, who would maintain and upkeep uh, the vans and the trucks, some of which were Red Cross trucks. Others were donated by local businesses like brewers, for example, that donated their, their trucks and lorries. And they would, again, be ferrying uh, the wounded hither and thither as well. Um, so you, you've got a really good infrastructure already set up that's being utilised in a very positive way. How long did it take for the town after the First World War to sort of get back to some sort of normality? I know you said it never really fully recovered, but I guess it, you know, day trippers, people coming down for an ice cream on the seafront did return eventually. Yeah, it, it, it did return eventually. And um, we, we have some rather unusual attractions that, that found their way um, to Southend. And um, there, there, there are two good examples that always stick out in my mind because they're so surreal. Um, one of them was a, um, a, a British tank. Um, so during the First World War, you have the introduction of, of, of the first tanks. And one of them ended up in the Kurzel. And uh, we have some brilliant Pathé footage that, that anyone can Google, anyone can, can go online and find. And you can see a, a I think it's a, a Mark IV uh, tank rolling around in the dirt in, in the Kurzel. And you could pay to go for a, what's called a joy ride on, on the tank. And, and equally on the, the Sunken Gardens, which is roughly where Adventure Island is, a German Gotha bomber was put up as a display. So, so there was an attempt to... Um, bring in people to look at some of these aspects of the war um but equally in turn you know things like you know um the the, the dance hall sort of culture returns and people did eventually begin to come back but it, it took a few years and, and, and equally immediately after the economy wasn't that great so people didn't exactly have a lot of disposable income to spare mm, absolutely well fast forward to today of course and that very hotel that we've been talking about at the top of Pier Hill, the magnificent building there, has actually been used to aid people again because I know it's been uh, used to house refugees who've been coming over mm -hmm. to uh, Britain from various places. So uh, it's kind of full circle. Uh, in, yeah. in a way, nice to see that that building is continuing 
to help people and not just be somewhere we can go and relax and have a have a good time it's it's uh, fascinating yeah, it's still so. being used uh, in in a similar way today to help people well chris time has beaten us for this episode thank you ever so much for taking us on a whistle stop tour of what south end was like in the past uh, appreciate you uh, having a chat and joining me here on essex by the sea thank you thank you very much indeed don't forget, you can follow Essex by the Sea on social media. You can like and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And you can listen to episodes on smart speakers. Just ask your device to play Essex by the Sea podcast. So until next time, thanks ever so much for listening. Listener.